0: 2015, I was in India on vacation, and India at that time still had a power scarcity, electricity scarcity. So you constantly have these brownouts or blackouts. And sitting there, I was thinking, you know, if I had one of those electric cars which could power a house, this would be amazing. But then I was like, you know, that would be ridiculous to have that car in the middle of the field here. So that's what led to the genesis of what if we did an electric tractor that could do everything a tractor does but could also power the house.
1: Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. Each week, we take a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. I'm your host, Donna Laughlin. Nearly 20 years ago, I launched a public relations firm with the sole purpose of helping visionaries tell their stories to the world. Now, two decades later, I want to share those stories and more with you. This podcast takes you on a journey before it happened with the innovators who imagine and are still imagining the future. Ever since I was a child, I was curious about so many things. I spent hours in the garage, at science fairs, sifting through popular science, popular mechanics, and pretty much any journal I could get my hands on, exploring and discovering how things work. From transportation and AI to just about anything you can put in your home, office, or pocket. On this show, you'll hear from the innovators themselves as they tell their stories of how they brought those visions to life. Grab your passport, and let's go on a journey together. I'm Donna Laughlin, and on today's show, we meet Praveen Pemetsa, co-founder and CEO of two groundbreaking startups, including one that's already reshaping the agriculture industry. Given what he would accomplish in his professional life, it's fitting that Praveen was born into an agricultural family. But it would be his fascination with cars that took him into technology. And his idea to revolutionize farming equipment would come about almost by accident. But we're getting ahead of the story. Praveen was born in a small town in Southern India called Gunter. It's one of the largest producers of chili peppers in the world. And for generations, his family owned and operated farms in the area. Even after his parents moved the family about six hours away to a more metropolitan city of Hyderabad, Praveen would still spend summers out in the country at his grandfather's farm. He remembers riding the fields on his tractor. But he was already more attracted to the fast cars and the bustle of the city than he was to rural life.
0: I would buy all these old magazines from the roadside stores. So what would happen is, when Americans like get rid of their old uh, magazines, car magazines and stuff and trash them, they end up in third world countries as literally trash, right? But they're resold. So I could buy these old 1980s magazines in the 1990s for like pennies on the dollar. And I would like kind of skip through these things and I would have all these dreams of, oh yeah, right, I gotta to go to California and drive these fast cars and play with all of this high tech. So I'd buy old computer magazines and car magazines all the time. Every weekend, my Sunday ritual was to go and buy those magazines.
1: Well, other people's junk is treasures, right? Yeah. <laughs> what was the first car that really got you excited? You mentioned your grandfather had a car, or there's, or is it just the cars in the magazines?
0: No, my uh, my grandfather had a, had a car, and actually both of them had cars, which is very uncommon in India in those days. So one of them was what was called the Hindustan Ambassador. Uh, it was 1950s uk morris oxford that was sold in india for the longest time almost every indian that grew up you know anything before 20 years knows that car so he had one of those constant breakdowns you know you had to get it fixed on the roadside so that was always fun and my other grandfather had a dodge that was imported a big deal in those days and that was used for like all the travels to all the farmers to see you know, before the, my grandfather purchased the tobacco to bring back to his factory for processing. So I was always hanging out where the, the cars were. And the cars were often in like their own shed with a mechanic, their full-time mechanic and driver. So it's like this old school way of driving where you had a full-time driver and a mechanic. And his whole job was constantly to fix the car or to drive the car. So yeah, I would always hang around over there and have fun with them.
1: Praveen was a good student and had a strong interest in history and geography, but after years of spending his summers at his grandparents, he found he had a knack for tinkering with all the equipment around the farm. And when it came time to decide what to study in college, he chose engineering. He was also a fan of Formula One racing, and after graduating in 1999, he wanted to find a way to combine his engineering skills with the love of cars. So he sought out graduate programs in the United States where he could study fluid and aerodynamics. He found what he was looking for at the University of Cincinnati. And after being accepted, he set out to leave India for the first time in his life. The University of Cincinnati is situated on a bend of the Ohio River that separates Ohio and Kentucky. Its urban campus is home to thousands of international students and Praveen enjoyed his experience there. He took every engineering courses he could even some that were outside his area of concentration. This exposed him to some new and emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. ravine scholarship covered his tuition, but not his living expenses. So he took a job with the university's athletic department, where he worked in the computer lab. And some of the experiences he had with that job were just as important to his development as his engineering classes.
0: It kind of gave me the people side of it and the teamwork side of it. You know, engineering is very much sometimes is seen as a singular creative pursuit. Engineers like to kind of sit down and really work on their designs. To go from that to the athletics department, where it's all about teamwork, there's coaches and assistant coaches and a whole team there. Kind of gave me the uh, showed me the power of the team and what all needs to be in place for a small team to succeed at a in sports. Showed me what the back-end infrastructure needs to be which which is all things that I later on implemented and realized when I started my own companies.
1: Also, it's the connection between performance, between performance of I mean, working as a team in the, in the field and the farm, as well as the performance of cars and the convergence of both of those.
0: Yeah, I definitely was very much focused on high performance. So you know, whether it was on the team side, but I also loved the camaraderie of chasing performance. So you, you put a high-performance team together, and then you chase performance again. So <laughs> that's what excites me, and it still does.
1: After finishing his master's degree in 2001, Praveen began applying for jobs with every race car company he could find. But he feared that by working for a larger organization, he would no longer be part of the kind of small teams he'd come to enjoy.
0: So then I started searching for companies that were doing automotive research, race car, but also additional research and projects outside of automotive. So that's how I ended up at a company called Rod Millen Special Vehicles. It was the racer Rod Millen, who rally racer held the record at Pike's Peak for a long time. He had a company in Huntington Beach that was doing robots for the defense world. It was doing race cars. It was doing automotive research, and seemed like the perfect mix. And they were like around 15 people strong, 20 people strong, when I applied there. And I had just a phone interview. They said, yeah, you know, if you want to come over and start, let's do it. So I, I threw everything I owned into my car and drove across the country in two days, <laughs> nonstop to start work in the beach.
1: I have to ask, what kind of car?
0: <laughs> I had a Nissan 240SX, yeah. like an old used one with 150,000 miles. And it, of course, it broke down in Kansas. You cannot make this story up, right? It broke down in Kansas. I, I look around and I can see like these huge cornfields, and I'm like, oh my God, right? And, and luckily, it, it started up again, and I, I could get it to the next truck station and change out the spark plugs. There was some bad fuel in it, get it fixed, and keep driving. And I drove for like 16 hours the first day and another 15 hours the next day to get to Huntington Beach.
1: You're visualizing your future with all the, the, the yeah. films. <laughs> so can we go back to the race cars just a minute? What kind of race? Was this NASCAR, or this Formula One?
0: So Rod Miller was doing a lot of off-road racing. So it was championship off-road racing. They were At that time, they didn't have an active race car program, but Rod was still racing his truck. He had an off-road racing truck with Toyota. It was a Toyota Tundra and he was still doing special events and he was doing the Baja 1000. So it was off-road racing. So I got a chance to work on some of the off-road cars that he was building at that time. Just an amazing opportunity, but also I got a chance to work on robots for DARPA, got a chance to touch electric vehicles very early on. This was even before Tesla existed. So a wide breadth of experience in a very short period of
1: time. Praveen stayed with Mellon Works for eight years, working on a number of teams in several different roles. During that time, he rose quickly from engineer to project manager to director of automotive projects. In 2010, the company was sold to Texatron. Praveen was asked to take on a leadership role with the combined company, but he decided he wanted something different. He wanted to chase performance in a different kind of way, this time developing new technologies and bringing them to market. He and a group of colleagues from Mellon founded a startup called Motivo, and Praveen became its CEO.
0: I thought, okay, you know, if a bunch of us get together from Mellon and start a new company called Motivo, and really focused on accelerating high-technology products to market, like products that people take years to develop, could develop in like months. So with that goal of accelerating audacious projects, Right. Accelerating Product Development Foundation's Visionaries was the mission statement at Motivo. So we work on these far-out projects, but really make them come to life in, in months to years. So that was the genesis of Motivo. So we started Motivo in a small garage in Hermosa Beach with my co-founder, Nate Schroeder, Dean Banks. Three of us started Motivo back in 2010 in a small 2,000-square-foot building in Hermosa Beach in L.A.
1: What did you create in that small garage?
0: Yeah, and that small garage was just a stepping stone. We signed our first few projects there. We created an electric boat that at at one point was the fastest 22-foot electric boat in the world with a very small team. We worked on an electric city car. We worked on a microgrid project, and we started growing. The company started to grow very quickly. And over a period of 10 years, worked on projects ranging from electric aircraft down to one wheel you know, skateboards, and everything in between. And while we were doing all of these projects, we also got uh, pulled into the autonomous revolution that had started in the car world. And so we started working with a lot of autonomous car companies, uh, supporting their car developments, building autonomous cars for them. And that then led to the agriculture opportunities that popped up, where farmers in California started approaching us, saying, hey, can you build some robots for us? for planting, for cultivating, for harvesting.
1: So what year were you beginning to work on the electric? You said it was well before Tesla. What time frame were we talking about?
0: Yeah, in 2003, I worked on an electric hybrid car that ended up on the cover of Roland Track. It was a project by Mitsubishi. Fully functional car using a drivetrain, very similar to what Tesla had in their roadster. So I did a battery pack for that. So it was super cool to have been I mean, four years after starting my professional life to have a car that I had touched and worked on on the cover of road and track <laughs> a magazine that I used to buy on the sidewalks in India for like 10 rupees because I could not afford the one on the newsstand <laughs> it was it was just a fantastic story
1: have you gone back to the road stand to see if the magazine's there stacks of them for the next generation to buy
0: I have not I have not I should.
1: While visiting India in 2015, Praveen got to thinking about the electricity shortages that often plagued the rural areas in his native country. And that got him thinking about the farm equipment he grew up tinkering around with. After having spent the last several years working on a hybrid car, he wondered, could he do the same for a tractor? Ultimately, it would take launching and running a second company, what he called Monarch, to bring his vision to life. Monarch was the culmination of Praveen's career spent building teams and chasing performance. This time he put together a dream team of experts that could look at the development of the tractor from every conceivable angle. His co-founders were Zach Omahundro, his partner Motivo, Mark Schwarger, a top manufacturing leader and Tesla alum, and wine grower extraordinaire Carlo Mandavi, who serves as chief farming officer.
0: So between the four of us, we bring very deliberate skill sets to the table. But we also have attracted some fantastic talent like Chris Whitney, who leads up the autonomy side, and a team of engineers who every day are out in the field, in the heat, in the cold, in the wet. And I think you've seen our R and D side. It's not for the engineer who wants to sit at his desk, get a massage, and get some beer and get a cappuccino. Nothing wrong with that, but those are not the kind of engineers that we have at Monarch. Our guys are out in the field every day from morning till night and often very often during the night as well. And even though they're the best AI engineers, can work anywhere in the world, they have decided to join us on this journey. So it's a very committed team of AI engineers, mechanical engineers, electronics engineers, control systems people, and we've put a whole team around to help us on this journey and to join us on this journey.
1: Why do you think the world needs an electric tractor? Uh,
0: 2015, I was in India on vacation from, from Motivo. And uh, India at that time still had a power scarcity, electricity scarcity. So you constantly have these brownouts or blackouts. And sitting there, I was thinking, you know, if I had one of those electric cars that we just did at Motivo, which could power a house, this would be amazing. But then I was like, you know, that would be ridiculous to have that car in the middle of the field here. So that's what led to the genesis of what if we did an electric tractor that could do everything a tractor does but could also power the house. But again, I cannot take credit for that whole idea. I came ra- running back to you know, to Motivo and then talked to my partner there, Dr. Zachary Omohundro, right, who was the first employee at Motivo is is one of the co-founders at Monarch as well. And he was like, hey, there's a clever way to do that. And then he said, by the way, USAID is looking for to how do we power agriculture sustainably globally. So maybe we can kind of put this idea in as a grant application and see if other people also think it's a good idea. Because both of us were strong believers that ideas are a dime a dozen. The whole challenge is to convince the rest of the world that it's a good idea <laughs> and then actually execute on it and then put it in people's hands and then change mindsets was the way both of us looked at it. So we then put in this grant for USAID, which, again, we did not have high hopes of because they got like 450 applications, I think, that year from all over the world. And ours was one of them. But we got that grant from USAID, and they actually funded the first electric tractor that we built back in 2015, 2016 timeframe. And we took it to India. We tested it in an Indian village. And that's how that whole electric tractor idea started off and then came to life as well.
1: Was it the first electric tractor?
0: I'm sure there must have been other electric tractors before that, Donna, but it definitely was like the first electric lithium tractor that could also power things. So not only could be charged from a solar panel directly, we had power plugs there and we could power things off the tractor. Definitely the first one. And we applied for patents and we got patents on that at that time.
1: How many patents?
0: We just did one that was pretty large, a patent on how the power electronics architecture was for that.
1: So what is the first prototype tractor that you created that that was in India? Did you have the same replicated tractor back in Torrance, California?
0: Yeah, we did. We actually ended up building like three of them and we left one in Torrance and then we took two to India. We actually assembled them in India, deployed them in a real Indian village, uh, worked with farmers there and really got in touch with a lot of challenges that farmers face, and it was mind-opening. We realized that a lot of the tractor driving is a hard job, needs skilled labor, but at the same time, we also realized how how tight the farm economics were, like every rupee and every dollar mattered. So that experience of being out there working with the farmers, asking them questions, asking them why they're not using it or why they're using it, etc., was just uh, an eye-opener for farm economics and the life of a farmer. And then we came back and realized that even though the electric tractor was a good idea, it was not something that a farmer could buy and could use to change their farm economics quickly. That's the other thing is farmers don't have a lot of time. They, they they cannot think in terms of like five-year paybacks or four-year paybacks because it's such a cash trapped business, and that's what we learned in India. And then after coming to America and start working on other farming projects, farmers here also said the same thing. Like, hey, we don't have that kind of cash flow, right? If your tractor can pay for itself in 12 to 18 months, we're in. Otherwise, no go. And this was back in 2017, 2018 timeframe. So we said, hey, our electric tractor, a great idea. Still, maybe not enough for farmers to buy and to be viable. But that's when the autonomy layer was added on. And we said, hey, if it was autonomous and we can save on tractor driving time and labor, now that would be a game changer for farmers. And we could really give them that payback in 12 to 18
1: months. What type of feedback were you getting from the farmers that then you would go back to the lab and apply? like what was that process like, and to bring you to where you are today?
0: Yeah. so the first tractor that we had in India, et cetera, we got a lot of feedback from farmers. We said, "Hey, how much are I willing to pay for this? What do you think about this tractor, et cetera? And they told us everything from, hey, you know it doesn't look great to it doesn't work well, uh, you need a bigger more horsepower. you need these features. Uh, It's not robust enough. So all of that feedback, we kind of compiled all of that and really used that tractor when we started building the Monarch Tractor. So it was over three years of lessons learned from global farmers, not just here, not just in California, but also in India, in Japan. we, We had a Japan visit where we talked to farmers there. And we really had this global feedback that fed into the Monarch Tractor. And it influenced everything, Donna. It influenced everything from how high should the driver sit, to what kind of control should they have, to how big should it be, to how should it look. Every aspect of it was was touched. So, and that's what I think makes us unique.
1: What is the problem that you can solve with electric tractor that you can't solve with a traditional like John Deere tractor or any other non-autonomous electric tractor?
0: So there's a lot of things that we do. I mean, if you buy a tractor, you're guaranteed almost a payback on the tractor within 18 months to 24 months. If you buy a a diesel tractor, you get no new benefits than any tractor that's been around for the last 10, 15 years. You get the same challenges. Economics are very similar. It's more expensive. In fact, it's worse in some cases. It's harder to repair. Farmers are having problems repairing on the new electronics that are tractors and your economics are not changed that much. It's an incremental update. You save a little bit on diesel. They're a little bit cleaner to the environment, but not much. And everything else remains the same. So, whereas if you buy a Monarch tractor, immediately it's an all-electric tractor, which means like zero emissions. Your diesel costs go to zero, number one. Even if you take into account the charging cost, it's still much cheaper. The fact that your tractor driver is not exposed to the chemicals, is not on the tractor doing dangerous operations, increases the safety of the driver, decreases your insurance, decreases the amount of cost that you're spending on very boring, mundane, dirty, dangerous work. So the fact that your best tractor driver can now manage a fleet of 70 tractors is a game changer for farmers. So instead of me, say, telling you what what we feel our tractor is better at, I think I'll quote one of our farmers who said, the new diesel tractors sucks because of all the emissions equipment. Whereas with your tractor, right, I can see a world where it's going to save me money and it's electric, which means I can advertise that. And oh, by the way, at any point, I get to see what the tractor is doing and increase the efficiency of my operations.
1: What other problems are farmers facing today that, that you assist with?
0: I mean, the food ecosystem in general has has gotten commoditized over the last 20, 30 years. Now. That's how we've managed to get a lot of volume of food out to, to consumers. But as part of the commoditization, we have seen a huge increase in chemicals going into the ground, which is not sustainable for the soil, not good for farmer health. So that's a challenge that farmers have. Farmers have been squeezed in this commoditization to where they don't make a lot of money on fruits and vegetables. And not only that, uh, the commoditization has also decreased their leverage. It's amazing that you can tell where where certain products have come from and how they were manufactured and everything else in great detail. But you can't tell exactly how your food was grown and where it came from. It's something that you're putting into your body. So the farmers also lost control of their story, and they had to deal with increasing regulations, increasing sustainability requirements, increasing data requirements, all at a time when they're losing people from their farms. Nobody wants to be out there, call 12, 12 hours a day, spraying chemicals. So they're all going to construction, to service industry, etc. So all of these are challenges that are working against the farm. What we are hoping with the Monarch tractor to do to kind of change that narrative to where the farmer can tell their story using our tractor, can farm in a clean way, can save money while doing it. We see ourselves as a bridge between farm economics and sustainability. It's the one thing, probably the only thing that connects right now, at least farm sustainability and farm economics in one product.
1: So the first generation debuted in 2020 during the pandemic, a crazy time. That must have been challenging. Should you talk a little bit more about getting through that that window and the need as climate change and pandemic and sustainability and everything converged at the same time you were taking all this technology and convergence and bringing it into one Tesla of tractors, so to speak?
0: Yeah, it was definitely a challenging time because our timing from that standpoint was very challenging. We had just finished our tractor and we were about to go out and talk to farmers. We actually were at the Ag Expo, uh, talked to farmers, and we wanted to start testing the tractor in farmer's fields and start getting some traction was when COVID started. So very quickly, we had to figure out a different way of engaging with farmers. So the amazing thing is we have come out with some very good insights out of it. We were one of the first companies to start doing like live tractor demos on Zoom to talk to farmers. And to showcase to them what the tractor could do. And a real interactive demo, too, right, to showcase the, the driver optional features, the electric features, doing all these things through a Zoom call. Farmers got to see all of that and interact with the tractor through Zoom. It was also a challenging one from a supply chain standpoint. We had to talk to suppliers for parts for the tractor, set up a manufacturing system, find a building to manufacture this in talk to technology partners, talk to investors, all at a time of COVID, where most businesses are shut down. Farmers were very impacted at that time because of the supply chain disruptions, the restaurants shutting down, et cetera. There was also other huge challenges down in California where we are. There was the big fires in Napa, Sonoma, which shut down like huge farms you know, for a long period of time. So through all of that, the team has persevered. We kind of kept on our journey and we've come out stronger to be able to bring on board existing tractor companies as partners is uncommon, right? It's like it's like a, a 50% car company attracting like a Ford or a GM as an investor. But that, again, showcases how forward thinking our partners are and also the work that we have done to date. And it's a good marriage of those two.
1: So what would your father or your grandfather response to the tractor?
0: Yeah, they're they're very vocal about it, so I get to hear what they're saying. Thinking, <laughs> so they they definitely are like, hey, you know, we want one, we want one of these in India as soon as possible. And, oh, by the way, make sure that it's not like U.S. expensive. <laughs> so they want all the tractors for like uh, you know a tenth of the price. So, but they're excited about it. My father recently bought some more agricultural land. He he kind of like retired as a farmer. Sold off a lot of the land except for a small bit that's still there in the ancestral village, and now recently like started reacquiring agricultural land because he he just he's a farmer but, like that's the one thing he knows what to do so he's like I'm gonna farm again <laughs> so he needs a tractor for sure.
1: <laughs> Would uh, Elon Musk like this tractor?
0: I don't know. Right? <laughs> maybe maybe not. There's a lot of ways in which. And this is something that I often tell everybody in Team Monarch is we cannot be aspirational, right? So our tractor is very much a farmer-first kind of mentality tractor. Everything there is is there for a reason that farmers see value in. And sometimes when you're, when you're dealing with normal consumer goods or high-tech goods, that's not the mentality you go in with. Right? There's a fair amount of aspiration that you create. Don't get me wrong, our tractor has a design that is something that farmers like and want, but from a feature standpoint and everything else, it's very much a a utilization, efficiency, utility play versus some of the Silicon Valley products, which might be a little more aspirational and a little more gimmicky sometimes for all the good reasons. So I don't know what uh, Silicon Valley leaders would think about it, but we do know what farmers think about it. We're happy with, with their reaction.
1: That was Praveen Pimetsa. Though he doesn't believe in legacies, he says he'd like Monarch to be remembered as an early innovator that was able to change the economics of agriculture for farmers all over the world, even in a small way. Achieving that would be the best possible outcome for his company, for farmers, and for the planet. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin. Along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood, and all episodes are written and developed by Jack Brewer. Our show coordinator is Deanna Morency with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab. Make sure to subscribe to Before It Happened wherever you listen to podcasts.